0: Um, I think it's about time that we got started. Isn't it? (coughs) Is that alright? Sorry. Welcome everybody this evening. I'm I'm a bit surprised to be here actually. Um, I I didn't know till Wednesday that I was doing this. So you have to forgive me. And I'm a bit scruffier than normal because I've come from the forest today. The good news is that... um, this is a session that I taught recently in uh, the evangelism course, so it's not something I've rustled up in a couple of days. It's something that I've been thinking about for a while, so fortunately that was uh, I had something up my sleeve, so that's good. Tonight we're going to be looking at answering difficult questions in our next uh, session of Digging Deeper on Tim's Trail. We've been doing this all year, and I don't know if you remember much about what we said, uh, but anyway, we're going to press on with this particular session. I want to introduce it by telling you something that happened to me last week last sunday afternoon uh, i had a phone call from a friend of mine a very good friend of mine who rang me up to ask me a question her question was julie how do i cook curly kale now (laughs) really That was her question. She knew that I'm I'm a a whiz in the kitchen. I'm particularly good with all sorts of different vegetables. Uh, So she rang me to say she'd got some curly kale. She didn't know what to do with it. How should she prepare it? How should she cook it? And how was it best served? So, of course, I was able to answer her questions in detail. Uh, And then I asked her something, because I'd seen her uh, earlier in the week, and she'd been a bit... Well, she seemed a bit down. She's a good friend of mine. I said, you know... You didn't see him yourself the other day, what's up? Uh, She told me a story about the week previously. She is a cancer specialist nurse and it's her job to give chemotherapy to people who have cancer. Uh, She's been doing this for years. And the week before she had uh, been in a situation where uh, the husband of the patient had got really upset. Because basically there was nothing more that could be done for this woman. My friend finds herself in the middle of this and she broke down and she said that it felt like the weight of all the years she'd been working there suddenly fell on her shoulders. Um, I've got my theories about why this particular incident affected her so strongly. So we talked about that. Uh, I talked about, you know, what it's like being a professional dealing with disease and illness and uh, suffering all the time. And then she said to me, do you know, Julie, I've been thinking about coming to church but I just can't and I asked her why and she said do you know if there is a God and I don't know if there is one but if there is one how does he let something like that happen I think that's a good question it's a difficult question but it's a very good question and I'm gonna much later on this evening tell you how I responded So, in this session this evening, I think what we're going to do is a few things. I want us to think about difficult questions like that one, about suffering, about why why do people die of cancer? Why is there all that suffering in the world? We're going to think about difficult questions of truth, like, you know, when our friends hear about all the religions in the world and think, well, why is Christianity different? That's a difficult question. And... Other types of difficult questions, questions of relevance, when people see Christians uh, living in a way that doesn't seem to match up with what we say. Um, I think when we're thinking about difficult questions, there are a few things I need to say at the beginning. A difficult question might be a difficult question because the person asking it doesn't know the answer. Um, They may not know the answer because they've never been told... Or they may not know the answer because they don't understand what they've been told in the past. Uh, A difficult question can be a difficult question because the person asking it doesn't like the answer that they've got. Uh, And that might be because of some kind of emotional, moral thing that's bothering them. Uh, A difficult question is not necessarily a question that hasn't got an answer. Uh, Very rarely will there be a question that you know that it has no answer there is usually an answer we might not know it at the time when we're asked it but there might be an answer out there and I think this is really important we shouldn't be afraid of the difficult question when my friend rang me up and asked me that question not the curly kale one but the difficult one um, actually do you know I wasn't afraid I was really pleased that she'd asked it because it means something that God is stirring something inside her. And it's like, you know, it's a window on her soul that God is is moving, he is showing. Um, I think we should, when people ask us difficult questions, say something like, to start with, good question, if it is a good question, and not be too scared about it. So here you go. Difficult questions open up windows on the soul. Don't they? Now... What we're going to do is a couple of things. We're going to look at some of the difficult questions that are being asked and try and answer them. I'm not going to answer them all. That would not be possible this evening. We're going to have a little go. And then we're going to look at the etiquette of answering questions. So I'm going to give you some kind of a broad outline about how you might go about answering questions. Not giving you all the details, but giving you a, a, a framework to work with him. A friend of mine went to uh, an evangelism training conference a little while back, about five or six years ago. uh, And he was told that there are eight difficult questions that people appeared to be asking at that time. Um, And we're going to look at that list in a minute. But I want you to do a bit of work before we do that. And I'd like you to tell me what you think might be those eight difficult questions. Or maybe there might be questions that you've been asked by people that you might want the answer to. That you found difficult at the time. And I'm going to write them down. Because you know how much I love doing this. Anybody got a question? Yeah. Go on then, Donald. Why does God why why does God, does God... Allow Yeah, brilliant. Mm-hmm. Okay. Brilliant. Any more? Yeah. Why does why did, uh, a loving God uh, command slaughter in the Old Testament? That's... Kind of related, yeah. So, okay. How do you know this goal? Yeah. How do you know? Any more. Don't all, all um religions leave lead to one goal? Right. What about other religions? Good question. What about wars all beginning with religion, people say? Yeah, oh, yeah, my father likes that one particularly. Isn't religion the cause of all those wars? Any more? Oh, there's one that you know we've got this atheist bus campaign in London. Oh, loving that, yeah. No, really. Tell was, you about that. that. You said that there's, there's a um, bus campaign in London at the moment and it says that probably isn't to God, so don't worry and enjoy your life. Yes, British Humanist Association. They've sponsored adverts on the side of oh, Bendy not, buses.
1: No. Uh, it was the yes, 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 yes,
0: yes. Yeah, there probably yeah. is no God, yeah. There was something, yeah, which means they're not atheists, they're agnostics or something like mm. Um th- th- But there was something that... that um, now I've what I was going to say. Sorry.
1: Uh,
0: <laughs> 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 um, it might come back, but there was something on their website. No, i forgot. Okay. It's very me. interesting. Yep. Thank you. Thank Go you on, Nancy. You know, <laughs> and I've asked several times myself just to do with it, evolution and Christianity. So what about evolution? Um, well, there's an argument against the things that are beginning, uh, according to Genesis it's yeah. One story I thought according to evolution is another. I've heard a lot time yeah. that confused me. Okay. Oh, now. oh good. It, 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 <laughs> said, it said that um, the, the thing that Yeah. You know, well, that's what Richard Dawkins would say, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. I've got a good story about that. I'll if say that for later. Then you can't possibly be religious. It's I think if you just listen to your stories. Do you think? Do you think? Yeah. I'll, I, I really like that bus thing, and I, I'm having an email debate with, can I say this? A patient reminder. about that at the moment Um, who is a staunch atheist who actually went to hear Richard Dawkins in Oxford this week and um, I I brought this up with him, that bus campaign because I think it's really interesting because the implication is isn't it that people who have religion don't worry and don't have fun so I, I was just challenging this chap because he's met me, he knows me actually I don't worry in the way that Maybe I could if I didn't have a faith and actually have a load of fun. <laughs> um, and I asked him, you know, how does your atheism stop you worrying and make you have fun? So we're having this debate. I'll see where that goes. That's really interesting. My point is, yeah. is that actually that come the best that yeah. Absolutely yeah. fantastic. I love it. There's two things with that. That's yeah. They're scared, yeah. The second thing is, it is absolutely awful, is it? I don't know if you've seen it, but they're using versions of the Bible that is dreadful. Oh, you're talking about the, the campaign that stimulated this response? Yeah. Because I haven't seen those. There, oh, there's a whole set of adverts which from some organisation that, that stimulated right. the response to it. So what do they say? It's, I don't, it's not the King James Version, but it, it almost is. I've looked, cycled by the side of these buses, looking at the trying to work out actually what it's trying to say, and it's obvious it's from the Bible, but, are oh, they pick the worst bits and terrible quotes, and you just think, why? Mm. <laughs> I wanted to contact them and say, can you not get a decent version of the Bible so actually what you read makes sense? Because mm. you only see buses really quickly. Mm. So actually it's really bad for it, so for it to have this much effect is, mm. is amazing
1: It's amazing,
0: because it's dreadful. Have we got any other questions before I... Oh, I don't know whether this yeah. is the right question. Yeah. Go on then. Why do, you, why do some people who I'm talking about children now yeah. go right the way through? Um, I'm talking about today's my Jewish boys' grade. We had lots of boys that came through boys' grade that fully understood what the Bible was all about, but they made it. no commitment mm. whatsoever. Okay, so w- what, we, what we look yeah. I'm talking sorry. about my children, I'm talking yeah. about, I might even be talking about some of your children. Yeah. That, that's a very, that's a, that always. I mean, I I don't know how you people think about Jesus Christ, but Jesus Christ is a reality, and Mm. I can't explain exactly why But why have I got that accepted, and why do not other people pick that up? Okay. Because that's very often a question people put to you. That's why. why Mm -hmm. Is that what you mean? Does it, Why does it seem irrelevant to some people and not yeah. others? Well, they to know, some it. people even understand what it means. Even yeah. <laughs> it. Yeah, okay. So, have you got any other questions that maybe one of your non-Christian friends might have asked you that. Fine. Yeah, go on, Jane. We've reached a point where being gay is something that, is seen that
1: you're born with. Right. So That's it's a good word.
0: Yeah. And I know why, why it says the Bible against it. But that is not no longer an answer for, for so many people. Kids. <coughs> to which you could ask, why the obsession with sex in general. You know, I mean, you know, sex outside marriage and all sort of thing. I mean that's what people say, I don't they? Why they're just so obsessed about doing that sex <sighs> in terms of being against it. It's probably related to the common union. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> okay so you've come up with quite a few quite a few questions that your friends might be asking you. I'm not looking for the answers by the way, right? We can't possibly. Well I'm, I, I might answer the we might look at this one. But but you know I'm just want you to think about what are the questions your friends might be asking you so you're slightly prepared. That's the issue. So Global warming. Did't you? Yeah. <laughs> Good <Global warming. laughs> So the, remember I was talking about that my friend who went to this conference and there were eight questions that he was told were the questions that non-Christians were asking and these are four of them. So does it matter what? Does it really matter what you believe as long as you are sincere? Uh, why does God allow suffering? How can you believe that God exists? Got that one? Uh, How do you know that Jesus rose from the dead? Is the Bible true? Why should I believe in God? I have a great life already. Why should I believe in Jesus? Don't all religions lead to God? And the church is full of hypocrites. So those are the eight questions that my friend was told were being asked by non-Christians. In a little while i'm going to make you have a go answering one of those questions in your groups but bef- I'll, I'll do a little bit before we get there so you you've got a bit of a flavor about how you might want to go ahead and do this now the first thing i've got a list of things here to help you when you're answering these kind of questions um, the first one is be biblical if it's possible to give the answer. And show them in the Bible where your answer is coming from, that could be of value. Because then they can go back and have a look at it later on. They can see it in black and white. Uh, obviously, you need to make sure that your friend that you're talking to has got a Bible that they can do that with in the first place, because most people don't actually. Uh, you might, sorry? Doesn't that presuppose that people care what the Bible says? Or Very good. the answer to that one of your questions, how do you know it's true? Very good. Yeah, all right. Good. so you want to say something, Jane? I was just going to say that a, a lot of what people's perception of, of faith is, is not actually biblical. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so I think people think they know what's in the Bible, but I don't think they really do. So they might be surprised at what you find. I mean, I know it's a bit of a circular argument, you're right, Andrew, but um, I don't think it's without value, using no, it. I don't I, I don't, I have to say, I don't use it very often particularly at the beginning, towards when things are hotting up, I would. But at the beginning, I don't. Um, But that's because people's perception of what the Bible is about is, you know, like you said. Um, If you're... You might find it useful in your Bible to kind of mark verses that you might find useful in certain situations. I mean, if you're finding yourself in this situation, often that would be useful. And and my Bible's got... um, Because this, you know, look, I've got little colour-coded post-it, you know, Because I can't find anything in a hurry. So, that's the first thing. Secondly, you need to be personal. I think this is really important. What you want to try and do is try and relate the um, question to your own journey of faith. So, this is where telling your story comes in, wherever you possibly can. Tell them how God's helped you in your suffering. I think that's really, really important. It kind of brings it into a a better context. It makes it personal. It makes it more... um, approachable. It makes it less kind of out there and theoretical and much more uh, down to earth how it is. Be sympathetic. You you need to know that the question might be coming out of somebody's pain. This is really important. Um, it, it might be a whole load of hidden pain that you don't know about and that's where that question is coming from. Um, I was asked the suffering question a while back by a young woman who, um, she basically came out, we were chatting, she said, you know, this wasn't this friend, this is another one. She said, I don't understand why God allows all this suffering. And before I embarked onto my, you know, my neatly packaged theology of suffering, something told me to stop. And I asked her why she'd asked that question. And that was amazing because what she did then was she opened up her her heart to me and told me this whole story of pain and suffering personal pain and suffering that she'd endured not just herself but her partner and it was awful Uh, her question was how could god have let this terrible thing happen to her and her partner where was he in it how could he have let it happen why hadn't he protected them well, my answer, my prepackaged suffering answer at that moment, really was, you know, wasn't what she needed. Actually, what she needed was somebody to listen to her, to hear her pain, to empathise with her pain, and tell her that God loved her, and that he was angry about it too. Um... I think that works so much better than just launching into theology, because then, of course, you're listening, aren't you, to what's going on and and, um, dealing with their agenda. Going on, you need to be honest. If you don't know the answer, you need to say so. Don't make it up, for goodness sake. Um, I've heard of a story of, you know, a a gospel tent meeting where, you know, when people come down the front, the counsellor one day was trying to answer this person's difficult questions by making up Bible passages. Yeah, by, by making up things just to kind of give an answer. Now, that is not what we want to do. <laughs> you, are you guilty of that? No, I'm me on the <laughs> 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 We We don't want to be doing that, making that up. I think if you don't know the answer, you need to say so. It's okay. You can say you don't know the answer. People respect you for that. Um, I try and do that in my um, profession as well. Try not to make up answers <laughs> when I don't really know. It's really much better not to do that. People really don't mind if you say, I don't know the answer to that, I'm going to find out for you. As long as you then find out for them. To some of the oh, yeah. So not that I don't know the answer to anything. But sometimes the questions are really difficult, aren't they? <laughs> is a bit like the people you were talking about in that story about that walk? Oh that book, yes. Oh you remember that? Well done. That was a while ago. Yeah. <laughs> um, so there's two some, purposes to this. Some time over, yes. And a couple that just stood there. Yes, yeah. Didn't know what, what to do. do. Or why I, on, or I don't know. So there's two purposes to this when we don't know the answer, all right? You go away and you find out the answer and the first purpose is then you, you go away, you find the answer and then you come back to them. And the second thing is that you co- by coming back, you've got another opportunity to speak, haven't you? you you've got another opportunity to open up the conversation again because you've said you're going to find the answer. So you can come back and do that. You need to be gentle. Um, I became a Christian when I was 15, quite suddenly out of a non-Christian home. And... Um, The passion that God had given me for evangelism was there right at the beginning. He'd shown himself to me um, and I wanted nothing more than to prove to people that he was there and that he could save them. That's great, isn't it? But there was a problem with that. Um, I found myself getting into arguments really quickly uh, with my friends about God. I would do all that I could to demolish their arguments. Uh, I could show them the error of their ways and the foolishness of their thinking. I could win the debate most of the time, but do you know in the process I lost a lot of friends. You see, if you um, start arguing with people, it just does nothing. Arguing actually makes people more entrenched in what they believe, rather than persuading them. Uh, If you attack people head on, they'll just defend really strongly their position. It doesn't work, and I didn't bring any of my friends to faith. And I was wrong, actually, to respond in that way, that confrontational, argumentative way, just to win the argument. We're not just about winning the argument, we're about winning people for Christ. And if that means not arguing, I think that would be better. You don't have to uh, uh, agree and collude with somebody to not argue. You need to work within their worldview. Now, this is a tricky one, and, and if you missed, this is right at the beginning of the series, the worldview sessions. If you missed that, it would be worth listening to that again. But we need to understand what people's worldviews are in order to answer these questions. Um, and I can relate that to that the man I told you about that I'm having this email debate with. He's, he's in his 50s. He's got a really modern, rational worldview. And I know that, so that I know that I have to... Come at it from that angle with him whereas my friend the curly kale friend is younger and she has a most much more postmodern worldview and i know that therefore i have to come at her from that direction so working within someone's worldview is really important and that involves getting to know people as well doesn't it all things to all men to win a few yes he did He's ahead of his time, wasn't he? Well done, Nancy. I mean, Jesus did this as well, didn't he? When he was talking to the Sadducees, he used their worldview to... He used the um, scripture that they would understand to, to answer their questions. So he did that all the time. We should do that as well. So linked with being... Uh, working it within someone's worldview... If we're trying to shift somebody's worldview to, to ours, we have to be simple and gentle with it. We have to do it slowly and gently. Uh, I've got a friend who um, started working in Sainsbury's recently. And when she started, uh, they didn't tell her everything at once. They told her a little bit at a time so that she could understand a little bit and carry on. They didn't give her all the information at once. She wouldn't have been able to cope with it. And it's the same with us, a little bit at a time, being simple. We need to think about the words that we use really strongly uh, and, and the ideas that we're trying to communicate and keep it really simple. We don't have to do the whole thing at once. We can do it bit by bit. So be ready for a, a variety of emotional responses when you're answering difficult questions. My father is a labour supporter. Uh, and, and if you challenge my father's views, uh, you will be met with a barrage of uh, rather angry abuse. Um, he doesn't mean to do that, it's just that, you know, he, if you attack his viewpoint, he gets really worked up about it uh, for many reasons. So when we're answering people's difficult questions, I think the thing is that we don't know. We don't know everything that's going on in them and answering the questions might bring up all this emotion. So we need to be ready for that um, and sympathetic. We want to be affirming. If it's a good question, you want to say, "Hey, that's a really good question. That is a good question. Uh, And acknowledge what they already know about the subject. That might calm things down a little bit and then this live a life that enforces your answer Uh, we're not perfect we know that Uh, and therefore we don't uh, come across as you know judges uh, being holier than thou Uh, we're the ones who know about forgiveness aren't we and um, we need to live a life that demonstrates grace to our friends We don't want to give the idea that we know we have all the answers, because we don't really, do we? And we need to be ready for more questions. The answer to one question might bring up another question, so we need to be ready for that. I think a lot of what we've been talking about can be summed up in one of my favourite verses of Scripture, which is 1 Peter 3.15, which says, But in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience. So we're to be ready to give an answer to everybody who asks, but we're to do it with gentleness and respect. I want to just share with you a piece of research that was done in Coventry Cathedral uh, just a few years ago now. Because I want us to look, to think about some more questions. Uh, they, what they did was they um, did a research amongst non-Christians and asked them what would be the one question that they'd like to ask God if they could. And they came up with six questions. And they're slightly different from the eight we looked at before. People are asking what happens after death. So that's not one that we've talked about so far what what happens after death people want to know that's one of their questions exactly why am I here is another question people are asking questions of purpose what's it all about what am I here for how did it all start so they are asking this evolution creation question if there's a God what's he like that's the question that they're asking Why is there so much suffering? That one's still on the list. What is the spiritual realm and how will it influence my life? Now, I don't know if you've noticed, but some of these questions, they're a bit less um, argumentative. They're a bit more, you know, um, people are interested in spirituality and uh, the spiritual realm. So So these are actually the questions that we people are asking they may not be asking them to you but these are the questions they're asking internally almost and if we can get to these get close enough so they ask us I think there are great openings in this these are these are less argumentative than the you know prove to me that Jesus rose from the dead or you know is the Bible true so these are these are great ways in now what I'd like you to do is to um, split into groups I don't know. Why don't, You could do it on your tables, maybe. And I want you to pick either one of these <coughs> or one of the previous eight. Obviously, I can't display them all at the same time. <laughs> but I want you to pick one of these on your table, agree which one it's going to be, and then I want you to have a go at answering that question or thinking about how you'd talk about it with somebody who wasn't a Christian who'd asked you. All right? And I'll just to, um, carry on, and we'll be quite... Quick in this bit, so you can all go home. Um, to think about how we deal with distractions and um, the the kind of the topic of red herrings. Uh, I'll explain what I mean. Um, I'm thinking about the context where you're in a conversation with a friend, a spiritual conversation. You've been having a conversation with them for ages, uh, and you're perhaps at the point of bringing your friend to Christ. And then there's this idea about red herrings uh, turning up now um, what I mean is that sometimes people can throw up questions that seem to be kind of out of place not in the right place do you see what I mean Um, so we need to to use our listening skills when people ask us a question in this situation to discover whether it is a red herring or it isn't Um, not every question that somebody brings up at this point is a red herring but not every question that somebody brings up at this point is a cry for, cry for faith. Right, so we need to listen really hard to understand where these questions are coming from. Sometimes the question being asked is prompted by God. I believe the question my friend asked about suffering was prompted by God. Uh, sometimes the question is there to put you off the scent. I don't think she was trying to put me off the scent at all. This was what was prompted by God. Uh, And sometimes a question can be asked to provoke an argument. That's not what she was doing at all. I'm sure her question was prompted by God stirring in her. Um, And and there's the advantage of knowing somebody really well, isn't it? I know my friends so well that I know that the question is coming out of deep inside her. not, Not because she wants an argument with me, but because she's actually searching for the answer to that question. So, if, if you get something that you think might be a red herring, i.e., it's there for an argument's sake or to put you off the scent, what, what do you think you should do? I wonder. Well, you might want to say something like, Joe, you know, that's a good question, and I think the answer is this. And maybe you try and answer their question briefly, succinctly, and then try and move on if you can. Uh, or you might say, oh, that's a good question. Can we leave that for the moment? Can we deal with that later? If you think it's a, it's a, a red herring. So you, that would be a polite thing to do, would be to, to, to acknowledge the question, maybe try and answer it briefly, or say, we'll deal with that later. I think it's really important to try and focus on Jesus. If this, this question is so kind of out there, um, you might want to talk, try and refocus uh, on Jesus on, on all their journey to faith. Uh, we want to ask them the, the important questions, try and bring them back to the important question. And I, and I think it's really important that you don't get annoyed and impatient. You like my slide? Don't be so stupid, you idiot. How many times have we spoken about this? Haven't you been listening? You Write that down, Andrew. <laughs> Don't do that, that's what it says. <laughs> um, my friend, um, we have talked about this suffering thing before. I've done a, 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 a seeker course with her ages and ages ago and we dealt with this. You know, I could have said to her, you weren't listening to me five years ago when we talked about this, were you? And That really wouldn't have been helpful, would it? So I, I need to be a bit more patient than that and, and go over again, if it's a real question, over and over again with that in mind um, don't let an unanswered difficult question stop you from drawing them to faith now, I don't know if you've been in this situation but um, I'll tell you a story about a, a, a young woman recently who I was doing an inquirer's course with um, and she'd made some really good progress, we have been on this journey together, it's a six week thing, I managed to get her on her own uh, right at the end. And um, throughout the course, she'd been saying things like, oh, I'm not really sure, I don't really know, I don't know if I believe that about Jesus, I can't really understand the miracles, I don't really know. And then at the end, we got together, just the two of us, and I'm, I'm, I challenged her about her decision. And she still had these unanswered questions. But it was so obvious that she was at the right moment, the moment was right. She just so wanted to commit her life um, that we were able to kind of put those unanswered questions to the side. And she was able to make a commitment there and then without having all her uh, questions answered. Um, Since then, okay, we're still working through the questions. She's still working through these questions. She'll still say things like, I don't... I don't know that I can, you know, I don't really understand that bit. But, you know, what I do know is that Jesus has changed my life. So she's come out the other side and it's amazing. So, so, so we don't have to answer all the questions before we draw people to that point. We carry on a journey afterwards, don't we? So there are, there's time for that. I didn't want to put a barrier in a way that didn't need to be there. Sometimes... People keep asking difficult questions, and you can see that it's just—it comes out of this wanting to cause a distraction, not want to answer the real question. That's uh, you know the, the real thing that's bothering them, and they'll keep using these smokescreen, red herring questions. Um, at some point, you might want to you might want to say this: If I was to answer that question to your satisfaction. Would that bring you any closer to becoming a follower of Jesus? Um, You'd want to be in a good relationship to be able to do this, but you might want to ask it, because otherwise you go round and round in circles, don't you? A friend of mine was um, speaking at Christian Union a little while ago, and he was invited to do one of those question and answer sessions, and um, there were a couple of people there that, very quickly, monopolised the conversation and started asking all these really difficult questions. It got a bit heated. There was this big debate going on, this big intellectual toing and froing. Uh, and my friend discovered, because some of the other, as in the Christian Union, told him that uh, this is what they did. They would always turn up at this kind of thing and just fire aggressive, arrogant questions at the speaker. And at this point, my friend decided to stop and wouldn't entertain any more questions. He said, "That's enough. I'm not, I'm not going to carry on answering your questions. Um, I, I don't know what you think about that, but I actually think he probably did the right thing. Um, were they, they were non-Christians. So these are non-Christians asking aggressive, arrogant questions, uh, uh, repeatedly, in an, ag- an aggressive manner. Exactly." So, you know, um, some of these questions might come up genuinely, but if you sense that this question is just there to annoy you, I think the best thing is to back off. I could so easily get into an argument Mm -hmm. with some people about some things, but if you feel it's going that way, you really need to back off and just, you know, stop. That's what Jesus did, didn't he? So that's okay. It's okay to do that so just before we finish i just want to think briefly I and mean, we will all know this passage oops um, biblical, model. biblical model do you remember philip in Acts eight good old philip and the ethiopian eunuch you remember that story we've read it a number of times in these series about how the spirit moved him to walk alongside the chariot. And the eunuch was reading a passage of scripture, wasn't he? And he asked Philip a question. What does this mean? How will I know what it means unless somebody tells me? So so he asked Philip a question. It was quite a difficult question. And I just think we can draw a few things out of this and we'll do it really quickly. Uh, Philip was close enough to hear the question that was being asked. And I think for us, we need to... To be close enough to hear the question okay it was the spirit that moved philip to be by by the chariot whichever way it happens we need to be close enough to hear the question i think we need to listen to the actual question that's being asked and not assume that we know what's being asked and just answer the question we think is being asked do you see what i mean so we don't launch into philip it says philip started at that passage of scripture ...that the eunuch was reading and from that passage explained to him who Jesus was. Uh, It doesn't say that he gave him a good book or or started somewhere else. He started with where the man was. Okay, So that's probably the next point, answer the question that's being asked. Um, So if somebody asks you, how did you become a Christian, then it's fine to tell them your how I became a Christian story... But if somebody asks you a different question, don't immediately launch into the how I became a Christian story because that's the only one you know how to tell. (laughs) Sorry. You know, you need to answer the question that's being asked. You need to listen really hard to the question that's being asked and try and answer that one, not what you think you should be telling them. It's their, their agenda, not ours. I think that's really important. So being close enough, friendship is so important, isn't it? And if we're friends with people and we get close enough like I am with my friend, I know that question's a genuine question. I'm close enough to, for her to ask me in the first place. And answer the question that's being asked. It, you know, Philip was ready to answer the question, wasn't he? We need to be prepared to answer these questions and hard as they are, we should be prepared. There are loads of books out there. You could read about all of these types of difficult questions. I can't give you all the answers. It's not possible tonight. But you can, you can go away and look at some of these questions yourself. It is possible. And I'll give you some um, recommendations in a minute. Philip knew his purpose. His purpose was to draw this man to Christ. And that's our purpose too, isn't it? It might not be that we do the whole thing all at once, but our purpose is to nudge somebody along closer to God. Remember I talked about the angle scale a few months ago? Our purpose is to nudge people further along that scale, and we might do it little by little. And if we're in a relationship with somebody, that's easy, because then you get multiple opportunities to do that gradually and gently, not all at once. So I'm going to draw it to a close now. You might want to think about how Jesus answered questions. It's fascinating if you look at how he answered questions. And Nancy's nodding her head. It's really interesting about how he did it. Often he would ask a question himself. So that's what I try and do. Because actually it's easier when you do that. Um, There are a couple of really good books you can buy or borrow about this. Uh, I've, I've got a book called Questioning Evangelism, which looks at this whole topic of how Jesus answered questions by using questions and it actually deals with a number of the the subjects we talked about tonight that's a really good book i recommend it to you it gives you some really good pointers about just things you can say in conversation when somebody asks you a question then you ask them what they believe and then you go really okay there's that kind of thing it's really interesting and there's another book which is called bridge building by alistair mcgrath which is a bit more um, these are the answers to the questions type thing Uh, it's a bit of a heavier read but it's also very good so either of those books would be really useful for you to look at so I think if if there's one thing I'd like you to take away is not to be afraid when your friend asks you a difficult question I actually think it's um, often God moving we're not to be afraid don't try and um, you know back off and give the impression you don't want to be asked any questions. You need to be able to be open to the questions. Just don't be afraid when they ask you a question, even if you don't know the answer. There are there's resources out there you can ask somebody. It's okay to do that, um, but don't be afraid. It's not as difficult as you think. So I think that's it. Maybe we could. Um, We've got a little bit of time, Um, maybe we could split into groups and pray for our friends and maybe ask for us to have opportunities to have conversation with our friends because maybe that's the first thing, to start having conversations about these kind of things with our friends. So if you want to maybe split into your tables and just pray for about five minutes for the people that you know, that you have a close relationship with or that you live by or you work with, um, that you might have the opportunity to have these kind of conversations. And that God would give you some of the uh, some ideas about how to answer them. Okay.